In case you weren't here uh, last weekend or, like myself, need your mind refreshed, it's, we so quickly forget things, the point that we aimed to drive home last weekend was not that the Lord Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Of course he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, or that his three, or his three disciples had trouble staying awake. But what we really focused on was how our Lord experienced sheer agony to the degree that his blood capillaries exploded in great droplets of sweaty blood. I don't know if we always think about this, but the Lord Jesus in his humanity, and I also believe in his divinity as well, was unnerved and shaken to his very being. Yes, tormented and alarmed, our Savior suffered. He suffered, not just on the cross of Calvary, but he suffered in anticipation of the horrors that awaited him. Now, I know that is a hard message to hear, isn't it? And it should be, especially since we all know it was our sins. It was our evil. It was our spiritual wretchedness. Those things were the cause for why he obediently allowed himself to be led to slaughter like a lamb. And if the day's, day of the Lord's return is one step closer, and of course it is, then why shouldn't we all be motivated because of what he's done for us to live sold-out lives for Jesus Christ? I say that if you claim to be a born-again child of God, then I sincerely hope that you are heaven-bent on living a godly, sanctified life. And I not only say that to challenge all of you, but to challenge myself as well. You see, the reality is, and I think you'll agree, that until we're glorified in God's presence, we're all pulled in two different directions. We're pulled by godly convictions, but we're also pulled by fleshly compromise. And which of the two best describes your life? I've entitled today's message, The Hardest Journey Ever Traveled. Because that's the cruel reality about the journey the Lord Jesus took to Calvary. That journey he took was a harsh one, a painful one, yes, a very brutal one. And so turn with me this morning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. If you can imagine, this is actually the last message in Mark chapter 14. I know you're going to miss hearing me say that. Mark chapter 14, turn in your Bibles. Our text is chapter 14, verses 42 through 72. Mark chapter 14. Let's first pray. Father God, now as we consider your word and as your word draws us to your table in communion, Lord, we pray that our hearts would be open wide to you today to hear a word from the Lord. And so, Father, now anoint by your spirits, anointing and teaching and guidance and leading all the things we're about to discover in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Please resist the temptation to just tune out because you've heard these things before. That can sometimes happen. But I believe if we go with these, to these passages with anticipation, the Lord's going to have something for us. 
So first notice in verses 42 through 45 how our Lord was betrayed by the one who, as we all know, turned out to be someone in his inner circle of 12 disciples. Speaking to his disciples, the Lord Jesus said in verse 42, remembering now that they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, Arise, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, came up accompanied by a multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, whomever I shall kiss, he's the one, seize him and lead him away under guard. And after coming, he immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. Now, I want you to observe something there that we first read in verse 42. It's an important point to make. The Lord Jesus was not taken by surprise. The Lord Jesus knew what was about to happen. Oh, Judas, why, he intended to take Jesus by surprise. But that's not actually what happened. Jesus was fully aware of all the events that were about to unfold. And I I stress that for a reason. Though evil men would act out of their own volition, the Lord God would still use their evil for good. How's that so? Well, their evil was they wanted to kill Jesus. And ultimately, that is what they did. But God intended to use what they were about to do to Jesus to pay for our sins. And so you see, God used it even for his glory. That speaks well of the sovereignty of God. Notice as well, of course, in verses 43 through 45, that kiss of Judas. What was that kiss intended to do? Was it a kiss of friendship? Not at all. Instead, he had told those going with him, why, this is how I'm going to identify Jesus to you. There's another text in the Gospel of John. I want to bring that into this context. In John 18, verse 4, it says about his betrayal, Jesus, therefore, knowing all, all the things that were coming upon him. See, there you go. Jesus knew what was coming. There's no surprise here. This, everything that happens is within the providence and the sovereignty of God. God planned this and said to them, Jesus said to them, whom do you seek? He knew who they were seeking, but he asked it anyway. And they answered, Jesus the Nazarene. This is what what John's gospel tells us. And he said to them, now many Bibles translate it this way. He said to them, I'm he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. And when, therefore, he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Well, actually, that word he isn't in the original text. Actually, the way it should be read is Jesus didn't say, I'm he. He said, I am. I am. What was he saying? 
You could go all the way back to the time of Moses. Remember when the Lord God was ready to send Moses into Egypt? And he says, and you know, Moses, this was a tall order. And he says, who am I supposed to say has sent me? He says, you tell them what I am has sent you. You see, the Lord Jesus is, I believe in the context, is not saying, I'm he. I think what he's really saying, just simply, I am. And they fell down on the ground. Why? Because the very ground that Jesus stood on was holy ground. And even these band of armed guards intent on evil, and Judas as well, they collapsed in the presence of the Lord God. This is another testimony of the identity of the Lord Jesus. Now, secondly, observe in verses 46 to 49, how our Lord, oh, our holy Savior, is arrested like a common criminal. You should think about that. They laid hands on him, verse 46 says. They laid hands on him. They seized him. But a certain one of those who stood by drew his sword, and he struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus answered and said to them, Have I come out to you with swords and clubs to arrest me as against a robber? Who do you think I am, a common criminal? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and yet you didn't seize me. But this has happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now the interesting thing is, And Mark's gospel doesn't tell us this. But in verse 47, it says there was a certain one. He's not named who was bearing a sword. Of course, John's gospel, and John likes to fill us in on the details. John tells us in his gospel, you want to know who that was? That was Peter. That was good old Simon Peter. Oh, let me just say this, you know, because Peter receives a lot of criticism and there's a lot of sermons about all the mistakes he makes and and failures. And Peter's aim may not have been so good. Do you get that? He he lopped off his ear. He really, in a a sense, it's saying is he he threw his sword, but he kind of missed a bit, right? You think he was just going for the ear? I don't. I think he was going for a lot more. His aim may not have been so good, but his intentions were commendable. Actually, in John's gospel, he even gives us the name of the slave. He tells us his name was Malchus. And Luke adds another part to this story, Luke twenty-two fifty-one, that Jesus did what after that happened? Jesus actually picked up the ear and reattached it on the man's head. Amazing stuff. Jesus was still doing miracles. And I want you to think about this. He was even now doing a miracle for someone who was there to be a part of arresting him. Does that not say something about the love and the mercy of God? It's like right up to the last hour, like the thief on the cross, Jesus is still leading people in the way of salvation and ministering to people. Verses 48 and 49, their treachery came in darkness rather than in the light of the day. Jesus pointed that out, didn't he? He said to them, hey, you know how many times you guys could have gotten hold of me in the temple? Of course, Our Lord is making a point, isn't he? He knew. Oh, he knew. He wasn't surprised by this either. He knew that the reason they didn't arrest him in the temple was because everybody loved him as a preacher. They thought he was great. The people would have been upset if they had come in and had arrested Jesus when he was teaching. 
Jesus says, oh, but you know, here again, that the scriptures might be, and I could say it this way, must be fulfilled. Again, another statement in the text, another hint, another pay attention to. All of this is happening according to the sovereign providence of God. Jesus isn't taken by surprise. It's all fulfilling what God has planned. Thirdly, in verses 50 through 52, it also so happened that our Lord was quickly abandoned as his disciples fled the scene. True to the account in Mark's gospel, it's almost a comical detail in a way. If you could just close your eyes for a moment, think about this. Verse 50, and they all left him and fled. And then here's the part of the story that Mark adds. Oh, and a certain young man, he likes that word certain. A certain young man. Oh, now he's telling us he's a young guy, whoever this fellow is. A certain young man was following him, wearing a linen sheet. Now, my Bible says wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. And they seized him. But he left the linen sheet behind and escaped naked. What, by the way, had the Lord predicted would happen with his disciples? He had just told them earlier, fellas, when the shepherd is struck down, the sheep are going to scatter. Do you remember that? And scatter they did. They all fled the scene. It, what I'm getting, you know, when that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, right after Peter and the incident with the sword and Jesus healing that guy, it must have been such chaos at that point that they did what maybe people would, we would probably do ourselves, run in every which direction. Of course, who was this naked young man? Some suggest, and people have for many centuries, that maybe this was actually Mark himself. There's a tradition that says that John Mark was a disciple of Peter. There's a tradition that says that much of what Mark wrote in the Gospel of Mark was because he, he, was, he worked along with in ministry the, with the Apostle Peter. Uh, and it would also be suggested that because he was writing this gospel, it's why he didn't name himself. Well, we don't know whether it was Mark or, or someone else, but David, that fellow forgot to wear his pajamas. And there's a good lesson there. But as you consider, as you consider this story, and I want you to think about this, Everything that's happening, God already knows about. Our Savior's betrayed, he's arrested, he's abandoned. And fourthly, in verses 53 through 65, a longer part of the passage, our Lord was accused of crimes that he never committed. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together, verse 54, and Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they weren't finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him, and yet their testimony wasn't consistent. And some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another one made without hands. 
And not even with this respect was their testimony consistent. Well, now the high priest stood up. He came forward and he questioned Jesus. Do you make no answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus answered, I am. It's just like the garden, isn't it? I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven and tearing his his clothes. The high priest said, what further need do we have of of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. And some began to spit at him, to blindfold him, to beat him with their fists and to say, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. Beloved, these devils, they, they aimed their arrows at our Lord. In verse 53, these workers of iniquity are all named the high priests, the chief priests, the elders, the scribes. They all gathered like vultures along a roadside. Make no mistake, verse 55 tells us very directly what they intended to do. They were out to find a reason to put Jesus to death, and they tried as hard as they could, didn't they? Oh, they just lined people up, came forward. But the innocent Son of God, and here's the point of the text, this text points out he was innocent, he was pure, he was holy. There was nothing here that they could find guilty of death. So what did they do? After lining all these people up and saying why Jesus even predicted that he was going to destroy the temple, up steps, verse 61, the devil incarnate himself, the high priest. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? What was he asking Jesus? Are you the Messiah? Would you even dare say, Jesus, not only that you're the Messiah, But you're even God's son. You're the blessed one. And our Lord gave him a straight answer, didn't he? He named the name of God. That's what I want you to see. He didn't just say yes. He said, I am. And then he adds, of course, I am. And you're going to see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power. And you're also going to see him coming with the clouds of heaven. I will tell you this this here that is full disclosure. That is the answer to, from the one who's been accused. He says, Lord is saying to him, in effect, man, you got that straight. And someday, someday, I, sorry, it's not in the text, but I feel like saying, someday, buddy, you're going to see me coming in the clouds. You're going to see me. That's revelation. Every eye will see him. And, and those who've rejected him will mourn over him. Our Lord was speaking the truth. Of course, the high priest, verse 64, he cries out blasphemy. How could that man do this? How could he claim to be God? How could he claim to be the Messiah? How could he claim to be God's son? And so they condemned the Lord Jesus and the part that especially I know troubles me. And one of the reasons why I labor through these passages is what we read in verse 65. They began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They beat him with their fist. They, what did they do? They played a game. They, they made Jesus into a game. 
It's a horrible, horrible thing. He was betrayed, he was arrested, he was abandoned, he was condemned to die. That's a lot of bad things to happen to a person and all in one day. Verse 54 and 66 through 70 tell, 72 also tells us that our Lord was also denied by one of his closest friends. Do you see how it's all kind of zeroing down and it intensifies? If it wasn't bad enough that he was being slapped in the face, spit upon, being made a game of, now one of his closest friends, Simon Peter. Why do I say one of his closest friends? Because along with James and John, those three were like in the inner, inner circle of relationship with our Lord. Look back at verse 54. Peter, who had followed him in a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. And then down at verse 66, we pick up. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you too were with Jesus the Nazarene. Oh, he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. And he went out onto the porch, and the maid saw him. Now, I, I don't mean this in the wrong sense, but understand that all the people who are fingering him, typically in that society at that time, would be, have been people of less, less significance. Okay? And so here, here are these workers of the house. They're pointing the finger. The maid saw him, verse 69, and began once more to say to the bystanders, this is one of them. But again, he's denying, he was denying it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean too. How do you know you're from South Jersey? You say water, and you know what a hoagie is, and things of the like. Addie's boyfriend, who's in town this weekend, meeting David, not this one, but her boyfriend, David. Um, they flew into Philadelphia Airport. We said, David, have you ever been to this part of the country? No, never have. He's from South Carolina. And we, would you like to see Philadelphia? I, I would love to have a cheesesteak. Okay, so the kids got on their phone, and we located Pat's. And so we took them to Pat's. It was freezing cold outside. I forced them to eat part of a hot pepper. And uh, we had a good time showing him around Philadelphia, and he stood where Sylvester Stallone stood at Pat's. And then we took him to the art museum, and I told him, now you're here, you have to run up the steps. And so he ran up the steps, and we all took a good picture of him and laughed because they had a big eagle sign behind him. But anyway, that all being said, uh, culture speaks for itself, doesn't it? And they're saying to Peter, we know who you are. You're a country guy. You're a Galilean. But oh, look at how Peter responds. Verse 71, he began to curse and swear. The words are left out here. But I don't know this man you're talking about, Peter said. And immediately a cock crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him. Before a cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he began to weep. I want you to consider this. Though the knowing lips of one man betrayed his master, the deceitful lips of this man denied having any association with his Lord. We all know that Peter hit an all-time low. But I'll say this. 
though he denied the Lord Jesus three times, please pay attention. It was Peter that was close by. Where were the rest of them? It was Peter who at least was in watch of his Savior while the rest of the disciples were nowhere to be found. Oh, he blew it. We all know he blew it. But but he tried his best. He did pull out a sword, didn't he? Oh, he shouldn't have done that, but he was ready to defend his Savior. And of course, the cock crowed a second time. And it can't be passed at all up, up to how he began to weep. He knew what he had done. And that reminds me of an old hymn that was written by Isaac Watts, and it has in recent years been rewritten by an organization called Sovereign Grace. You'll know the hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for sins that I had done, he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin? Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness, and melt my eyes to tears. My God, why would you shed your blood so pure and undefiled to make a sinful one like me your chosen, precious child? Heavenly Father, we once again find ourselves as those spiritually hungry and thirsty people as we come to your table now, Lord. And as we come to your table, we come with hearts of thankfulness, knowing that these things now that we partake of are sacred and holy, set apart for a holy purpose. And so, Lord, as the bread and the cup are passed, I pray that we would examine ourselves. If there's any harmful thing we find, why we would confess our sins, For you, Lord, are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.